Welcome to the Embodied CEO Podcast. I'm Kirsten, and while I'm an integrative performance dietitian by trade, a mom of three, and a wife, I am also a nearly two-decade entrepreneur turned business mentor, and I've seen all sorts of iterations of how to do business. And I'm tired of female business owners not fully stepping into their power because the road we've been told we have to take to get here sucks. In this podcast, I'm empowering entrepreneurs to trust their voice and expertise, to start thinking big when it comes to their business, and to move forward unapologetically toward goals that don't have to make sense to other people. Let's have the big conversations. Let's lay it all out on the table. And let's support each other forward in this crazy journey of entrepreneurship. Oh, and let's have some fun while we're doing it. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Embodied CEO podcast. And I have a special treat for you today. This guest was our most listened to episode of season two, which kind of hurt my feelings. You'll see why in just a second, because I thought I was pretty cool. But you guys all loved this behind the scenes part of life. So today I have with me back by popular demand, the man, the myth, the legend, my very own husband, Christian Screen. Hi, babe. Greetings. Happy Tuesday. Greetings. Yeah. How are you? How's your day today? You just came back from a unexpected errand that is the true definition of entrepreneurship. This, this was not staged, folks. This is literally what just happened. Tell the lovely listeners what just happened during the time that we were supposed to be recording this podcast. What did you have to do? Yeah. So it was a quick call from the son who is trying out for his middle school soccer team and had forgotten his backpack with all his gear, his cleats, his shin guards, everything. So in order for him to actually try out and stay at school and get that done, I had to pick up, first of all, I had to go to his room and get all his gear, put it in a bag where his stuff was all scattered all over the place, find his shoes. I'm not sure which pair of cleats he wants to put two pair, two pair of cleats in the bag, along with some other stuff. This is real life, you guys, because yeah. we have multiple kids in soccer. We literally just found six pairs of cleats, and I think three of them don't fit a single human in this house. But we just went eeny, meeny, miny, woe, and we said these two look like the most likely candidates. Yes. So just take these two pairs of shoes. So shoved them in the bag, yeah. ran them over to the school, dropped it off, and yeah, he should be okay. But we'll, we'll consider that part of the lunch break, you know. Hold that over this afternoon. Who's yours or his? Because I think that was that was your lunch break that mine. now cuts yeah. into your day. But like, is that not just the epitome of entrepreneurship, but also us as married entrepreneurs with children who now for some reason have a social life as though they have a job and money and a car. But meanwhile, they have none of those things. But we have the jobs and the money and the car. So we have no social life because we just drive <laughs> them or run their errands in the middle of our day when we had other shit scheduled. And it was like, well, we'll just push back the podcast recording because right now we got to run a bag to school. So thank you for handling that while I sat quietly and ate my lunch. I appreciate it. It's an interesting dynamic, ever changing. So, yeah. You know, it, it works somehow. We make it yeah. work. So it's been about I think about six months since you were on the podcast, because time is weird, and I think it's literally been six months. Tell the lovely people what's been going on in your life. How are things? How are you? How's business? Just give us an update. Yeah, th things are going well. Technology is an ever-changing beast as well, strange dynamic, but you know, lots of interest in what we're doing. We've got some amazing customers, continually push out uh, new features in our, in our product. Uh, yeah, so things are going well there. We always say, what's next or what could be better and the answer is typically just more and that's you know <laughs> that's, that's more customers more product more revenue more sales more people so yeah things are, are going well on that front and then of course uh striking that work-life balance which is always interesting so but the cha the challenges and opportunities continue 
There you go. I love that. And I've come to believe that it's not actually like work-life balance, I think, is a fallacy. I don't think it actually exists. I think it always like shifts one direction or the other, right? Like it's a little bit more life. It's a little bit more work sometimes, but I don't know. Some, somehow we find the middle ground where everybody is still somewhat sane and things are functioning. But I have to backtrack because you just said something that if I ever have to sum you up to anyone in the future, like what was Christian's life? What was his more will literally be the word <laughs> because as long as I've known you, the answer has always been like, if I've asked you, so what's the plan here? More. What's like, when will you be happy with more? <laughs> like that's just kind of been your, your stepping stone and building block for business specifically, not, not family. You're actually usually much more satisfied in life than I am. I will fully own that because you're the eternal optimist. And I tend to be, I tend to be, don't argue with me here, but I tend to be a little bit more on the pessimistic side. Don't say I'm the absolute pessimist because I tend to be Maybe, more of a realist. Yeah, I was just more of a Maybe realist, I'll... right? So yeah. if you're looking at the spectrum, yeah. Are you saying I'm on the spectrum? No, just, just, just like the spectrum of pessimist. To re if, if if realism is dead in the center, right, and pessimism is one direction and optimism is the other yeah. direction, right, you lean more towards the realistic part. Maybe maybe leaning yeah. towards pessimism, but that's just a perspective. And maybe I'm, I'm maybe left of center toward pessimism on the realism scale. Yeah, right. that's fair on the continuum. That's fair. But, you know, that's also why it works. You can't have two eternal optimists. Somebody has to at some point be rooted in, you know, like, but here's reality slapping us in the face. Sure. But all of this brings me to actually what I um, what you said yesterday, which is what I wanted to start our podcast with today. But while we were having a random conversation, because you and I have conversations all day about your business and my business, because, again, there is no work life balance. The things all kind of tie together because we both do things that we enjoy doing. Right. And before I get to the point of what you said yesterday, I have to preface this by saying I don't know another person who is more knowledgeable and deeply embedded in, in the area that they work in than you. And I've said that to people before, and that is not because you're my husband and I love you, which I do. But data is like your thing. Like there is not another person who understands it better that I've met. And unfortunately, I've met a lot of them because I tend to run in your realm. So I meet a lot of these people where I'm like, I don't want to know all of these things. But I <laughs> unfortunately have picked up some tidbits in the last 20 some years. You are so embedded in what you do, like data is your thing, like you live and breathe it. And there's not a person that I think understands it better than you do. And you have this innate ability that even when something changes or there's a new version of it, you just get it. Like you just spend a day or half a day or a couple hours consuming new knowledge on this subject and it's in there and you get it. So that's background. That's neither here nor there. I have no point to make with that other than the fact that I'm continuously in <laughs> awe with the fact that you are this obsessed with data. Very cool. And that you actually know what to do with it because the rest of us will, you know, like somebody give me a CSV file to export to something and then I pass it on to Alex and then I'm done right. with it. But this is like your thing, right? But we had this conversation randomly, seemingly randomly last night, actually, and right before dinner, if you remember, I stepped into your office, stepped into my office, I stepped into your office and I was asking you how your day went. And you said that you had just gotten off the sales call and your team was on the call. And speaking of data and tech, this is, I'm landing my plane. This is me coming full circle here. You were talking about how your team was talking to this potential client and giving them all this information and all the knowledge about the tech and just stepping through like, here's what our tech will do. Here's how we'll manage the data. Here's all the details. And you could tell that the potential client on the other end was kind of just like lost in the shuffle of all the stuff. And they're like, yeah, the stuff is all great. But here's what you said. You said, I literally interrupted your coworker and said to the client, do you want the tech or do you want the solution? And you told me this in just a story. And if you remember, I paused you in the middle of the story. I was like, whoa, wait, that's huge what you just said. Explain to me how the conversation shifted with this potential client 
when you said, wait, stop, do you want the tech or do you want the solution? How did the conversation change? Yeah, I mean, um, it shifted the direction of the conversation because, you know, with data, as you can imagine, data analytics, right? That's the focus, right? Turning insights into information or information and insights from data, right? Because, you know, data is like a raw material, right? And so it's very subjective, open to interpretation. And so every company has issues with you know, reporting, how they, they monitor their metrics, um, bring the data together, consolidating the data. So it's vast, it's super subjective. And there's so much out in the market today, you know, everywhere from, you know, these one-off types of, um, you know, the technical sort of products, if you will, or let's just call it code. And, you know, it's very subjective. How do you stitch it together? How do you bring it together? How much time do you spend bringing that together just to have a very bespoke or custom solution that you might spend months on end or years before you actually see any, anything of value? And so that's interesting. And so if you see uh, a lot of the, the tech people that are in the weeds day in, day out, right? Call these people developers. You can call them data engineers if you want. I, I think that's kind of a lofty title. A lot, a lot of the times, so we'll just say developers. And so these developers, right, they're happy to just keep continue to create products to type code until the cows come home, right? Because uh, that's what they get paid to do. They don't usually care about the business value of just being a technical resource. And so a lot of companies will just be in the weeds with, you know, dozens of technical resources who don't understand the business. They don't understand what's being sold. They don't understand how the business works. They are just like, hey, I could, I'm having fun coding. I'll give this to you. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, just tell me and I'll, I'll keep keep going until something happens, right? But when you're a, when you're a boss, as I like to call it, um, you know, this is your director of marketing, right? Your director of sales, your CFO. Yeah, the people who have to answer to the money. People who have yeah. to answer the money. People who, whose job it is to bring value into the company, right? That, that's their pure job. They don't code, right? They, they, right. Are, they, they have uh, stakeholders and shareholders. They have customers they have to deliver to. So they don't have time to worry about the coding effort. They want the solution, right? So when you're working in data and technology, it's very easy to drift the conversation into, oh, the, the, the technology, it's, it's, we've invested so much in the technology, the R&D, millions, billions. But if that doesn't solve a problem, if that doesn't give the, the boss, right, the people who need to, to run the business what they need, then what value is the code if it doesn't provide the solution? So that's kind of where the conversation started going and uh, very well received that, you know, the, the potential client here wants a solution versus a bunch of tech. And much different conversation after that. The reason it stuck out to me so much is because obviously you and I have very different clients, right? Like your clients are large corporations where you're eventually answering to a C-suite person who is in charge of the money, mm -hmm. who needs a solution to a problem. My clients are coaches, but the problem that I see in selling is the same. And I see my coaches, my coaching clients do this all the time. They get so wrapped up in the, look how much I know. <laughs> And get so wrapped up in the, let me tell you all about my education and all the things I know about nutrition or, you know, healthcare or physical fitness or whatever it is that they coach on. Let me tell you all the things that I know mm -hmm. instead of giving their client a solution to focus on because nobody cares how many accolades you got hanging behind you, right? Like I point to my diplomas back here all the time. Literally nobody cares how many, no one has ever asked me, not one of my nutrition clients has ever asked me, so exactly how many diplomas do you have? Or exactly how well did you memorize the Krebs cycle? They don't care. None of them care. They care, can I get them to the solution that they're currently in need of? What is their current problem? And do I offer a solution mm -hmm. that seems feasible to them 
and they don't want all the nuance. Mm -hmm. So in the sales process, this is this like, literally hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday when you said this. In the sales process, I feel like we're spending so much time trying to understand people, no matter what the industry is, trying to get people to understand rather how much we know instead of very simply showing them what we can do for them. Yeah. And those are different things. Like we know we can do this for them because we know all the things, mm -hmm. but they don't need to know that we know all those things. Right. Or let me change that actually. They need to know that we know all those things, but they don't need to know the nuance of what those things are. <laughs> we don't need to spend our time in this constant, if I just talk more, if I just give you more, if I just convince you more, if I just show you more features of the product, if I just keep showing you how complex this product is and mm -hmm. look how much we've worked on this and look how much we've put in, they don't care. Right. They want a very quick, to the point, give me the solution because the solution solves their problem. And that's what they're actually after, right? Yeah. So anyway, you give me a perfect in for our conversation yesterday because it transcends industries, right? You and I do very different things. But in the end, and this is why I think our conversations work, and this is what people love to hear about married entrepreneurs, very different industries, but our conversations work because in the end, we sell a solution to a customer. Right. It's just a different customer and a different solution, but the process is the same and it comes down to human psyche and human buying patterns and people buy based on emotion. And the emotion usually is make my life easier as quickly as you can. Exactly. That's usually the emotion. Yeah, that we're there's something of a Venn diagram there, right? That overlap is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So you have been an entrepreneur longer than I have. Obviously, I'm an entrepreneur because of you. I also buy Starbucks because of you. I blame you for a lot of things because <laughs> you bought me my first Starbucks. I would never have become addicted to Starbucks if it hadn't been for you. So you can't get mad at me ever for the amount of money I spend at Starbucks. But you have been an entrepreneur for as long as I've known you and before I knew you. And I've known you nearly half our lives now because awesome. we are old people now. Some of us older than others. Mm -hmm, That'd be you, mm -hmm. not me. So 20, 25 years approximately since you have entered into entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, you could... That. What are you doing differently in this business with everything that you've learned to this point? Because you now run yet another tech business, right? What are you approaching differently this time around? Yeah, that's a very solid question. I think more of a focus on that end customer, right? Really providing that solution to the organization and a, and a big focus on business value. I, I see that as both a necessary thing, but also something that unfortunately is a differentiator, right? Because the, the world is so tech enabled. I won't say tech savvy, but it's tech enabled. And, um, you know, you, you pretty much could just graduate high school and, and jump into a field in technology and do fairly well for yourself if, if one were so inclined, right? And like you said, right, nobody ever asks about the degrees, right? As long as you can actually achieve the work. But the mileage varies so greatly from an individual who really studies, who really becomes a great practitioner of their, their field or, or that discipline. You know, so you, you have the people who become great practitioners and you have the people who are just kind of like, it's my day job. It's easy, right? Tech industry pays. Yeah, the worker bees. Fairly well, right? The, yeah. the, the worker bees, the, the, the task takers, right? And because tech is so wide, you know, you can, you know, people can make a great living. You can have, you know, hundreds of worker bees and still, again, at no real business value in the tech space. And so what I've been focused on and really try to center the company around is providing that business value in a, in a way that is both you know, demonstrable, obviously, in, in, in tech, but you know, goes without saying as a final product that it, it, it provides that business value, right? Whatever that might be. And in, in healthcare, that might yeah. be 
you know, a, a ability to, to, to see more beds, right. Or, or, or bringing more beds into a hospital marketing that might be, you know, understanding, um, campaign conversions. Right. But, but there's, there's a measurable business value, you know, incrementing metric, right. Um, that, that, that proves that, Hey, th this is working for that customer because I think all too often, probably across industries, it's very easy for products to be sold where it doesn't actually add value. And, and then you, you've actually left the, the end user, the consumer that product in a lurch, right? They, they trusted right. the product, they believed in the product, but at the end, of the end of the day, even after trying the product, it failed at some point for them in the journey. And, and then, you know, if you add to that, it's kind of also always having something to continuously sell to that consumer, right? To that customer. So if you have one product and, you know, maybe that product's a perfect fit for that customer, they buy into that product. And at some point they need the next level of that product, right? So always being thinking and being forthcoming or always thinking and being forthcoming about that industry and that, that customer, I think is where we've been very customer centric this time around. It's almost like you've been through my six-figure business accelerator or something because you just said a whole lot of things that I say to my clients a lot. And I swear we did not have this conversation ahead of time. But you essentially just said the differentiator is what you're doing differently in this business right now is that you're focused on what makes you unique in the marketplace as opposed to being yet another solution that does what a whole lot of other solutions do. Because yes, of course, it's important that the solution does its job. That's always priority number one. But how are you doing it differently then somebody else might do it because that's the differentiating factor that's going to make somebody want to purchase from you versus purchase from anybody else who potentially treats data in a similar way, or in my case, coaches in a similar way. In my client's cases, coaches in a similar way, right? And, and just knowing that the, the reason you're doing something or that rather the client is the reason that you're doing something at that, and then knowing that you have that client on a journey where you can support them along the longevity of whatever it is that they're after, right? right? The client journey when when it isn't a one and done customer. Here's a client journey. Here's where you go now. Here's how we can support you now. Here's how we can adjust because your needs have changed and you've ever you've evolved in your process. It's a whole different approach than here's a one-time item that I sell to a person and I literally don't care what happens on the other end. Sure. Right? That's not good for business for anybody, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, you look, some businesses can be successful in that, that space, right? Um, you know, you could, you can buy, I don't, this is probably a bad example, but, um, you know, a, a Pez dispenser, right? You know, that might be a one-off purchase. But no, it actually isn't because Pez dispensers has a whole line of, uh, you're going to buy another one because then you're going to be like, but I also want the, you know, Bugs Bunny series, yeah. or I also want the Avengers series or whatever. Yeah. So Always even Pez dispensers have a client journey. There you go. Right. And you have to buy refills, by the way. You're constantly actually reinvesting in Pez because you have to buy refills constantly. See? And if you consume them like our son, one, one sleeve is one bite <laughs> and you don't get very far. With Pez dispensers. All right. Would you say that in the last 25 years after having done this for so long, has your has your why changed? Like why you're an entrepreneur? Do you think it's shifted? No, I, I really don't think so. I mean, maybe the the whys have expanded a little bit, but I think, you know, for the most part, it's always been uh, on the same track. Yeah. Which is? Well, you know, if, if I were to try to qualify them, I mean, one is clearly the the independence. Two, I, I think as someone who identifies as a thought leader, the the idea behind conveying my thoughts and, and helping other people 
is a big push. That is one of the the major whys, right? Because if if I'm confident in my skills, what I bring to the table to our to our customers that help them again drive and bring material business value. Uh, if I'm confident in those skills, and I look at some of the other people or companies that are trying to do that, and they're they're not bringing the the solutions and the business value that I know I can bring, then in so many ways, I'm I'm not only not helping potential customers achieve their fullest potential, but I kind of look at it as as neglect. You know, I'm 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 ne- neglecting all these great companies, all these great customers from, from being as productive and, and successful as they could be. Right. And, uh, so I, I don't, I don't want to hurt these companies out there. I want them to be successful. And so if I'm not helping them with you their want them to thrive, and, you don't want to withhold your yeah, genius. Why deprive, people? you know, the, these yeah. other uh, customers that just does, doesn't make sense. 100%. That, yeah. And there's, there's probably another set of whys in there, but yeah, those are, those um, are money. Let's be honest. I mean, money is part of that. Nobody gets into yeah. entrepreneurship because they're like, I would like to make a very small amount of money. I mean, that's nobody's target. So, and I think that's a fair, that's a fair component of the why also. Absolutely. But I think the altruistic side actually for you having known you a very long time is very accurate. Like it truly is from a place of, I have this brilliant idea that could solve so many problems for so many people. Let me go bring that to market. Yeah. And, and you have done that for as long as I've known you in every iteration of business you've been in with complete confidence which I so admire that A, it can work and B, it is almost like your duty to do this thing now because you're like, well, I had this idea and this idea is great and people need this. So it's now my duty to go bring this to fruition. So therefore, I'm not going to put my all into it and start another business. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I think, you know, one person could start one business, potentially it could start another business of a, of a, a different type. And, and, and clearly money is a factor just through living Right, you need you need money to, to right. survive, and um, kids who play soccer and all these. Yeah, things. you've got you know mouths to feed and and the the whole nine as, as the averages go. But yeah. uh, but what what is that that saying? I'm, I'm gonna, I'll butcher it if I say it, but uh, if you're if you're good at something, never do it for free. Type of, of situation. Oh, I like that saying. Yeah. is that is that the saying? We're gonna have to Google that. I, later. Yeah, we might like have to Google saying. that. I don't know who said it, but I think it's an, an old adage, and I and I think that goes with with for a lot of things, but definitely as an entrepreneur. The, the general idea is to be able to, you know, provide a solution, provide value. And if you're really good at it, and obviously don't do it for free, obviously there, you know, there's, there's potentially a market in some industries, but, you know, if, if, if your solution really brings value, then one could perceive that, you know, cost isn't even a, a factor, right? I was talking to someone the other day and the conversation was around, someone told them it would take 12 months to solve a problem. And from right. our perspective, let's say it would take, six months. So if let's say it costs a million dollars to do something in, in 12 months, there's an opportunity cost there from month, whatever, seven to, to 12. If you could get that solution, the same solution in six months, right? Isn't it actually worth more to you than to get right. it in 12 months? Because, right. you know, you're able to accomplish the exact same thing in six months, but then you, you now have what's called, you know, five, six months to achieve more with that solution. You don't have, right. you know, extra costs or burden. So it's an opportunity cost of what right. you can do there. You've solved the problem sooner and you now can use this and run with it. Yeah. yeah. Which is another great point that I think transcends every industry. And I tell my clients this all the time. The price is not the issue. The issue is the value. Is the And not just is the value existent. Yes, you should always believe in the product that you're selling. The value should be existent. But also what is the value to that client? 
and that comes from can you articulate their their problem in such a way that relates to exactly what they want so they see themselves in your solution when you can do that price is never the issue you can sell anything to anybody because you are literally solving that problem exactly. for them and you're doing it in a way that they feel like you're talking directly to them yeah 100 percent. and and awesome and then jump into things like scale and that's a whole different conversation right like how many times can you actually do that repeatedly I think right. technology is a good good lever for that. If you have good technology yes. and systems in place, um, then you can potentially use that as a, as a scaling factor. There's a guy, I can't even think of his last name right now, but um, Paul Graham, does that make sense? Uh, he's famous for saying, do things that don't scale as you start off on a journey. So just mm -hmm. you know, make sure it works, make sure you can actually produce the solution. Yep. Get really good at the thing. Yes, yeah. get really good at the thing. Make sure it works, and then bring in the scale factor capability. Yep. Yeah, yeah I fully agree with that. At some point, you're going to have to take yourself out of the immediate process and figure out a way to make that process go mm -hmm. if you want to continue to scale a business. What would you say, out of 25 years of doing this, is the biggest lesson that you learned from failure in business? That's another brilliant question. Uh, learn from failure. That you know, I'm very brilliant. Don't you know this? I do know this already. Right. That's why, I keep, that's why I, I keep highlighting some of these sessions. Yeah, from the perspective of, you know, failure is going to happen, I, I think it is the case. And it's really up to you as an individual how you handle the, the failure. Um, what becomes really interesting is when there's failure and it happens to more than just one person as, a, as an individual. So you're, you're in a company with you know, two or three other people who might be stakeholders. You all see the same failure. Uh, you know, you're there from the start and then, you know, understanding how they are also handling the failure around you. But, but it, at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, especially someone at the, at the helm, right, maybe started that, that company or, or, or whatever that might be, um, you know, that ultimate responsibility lies on, on your shoulders without great risks comes no, no reward, great reward, yeah. of, you know, all those things. So, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, if failure is going to happen, it's inevitable. And I think it's how you really roll with it and, and how you handle that stress. So going into it, I think knowing that, hey, some things are going to work, some things are going to fail, having a contingency and, you know, you can, you can plan all day with contingencies, but when it, when it happens to you, you know, like Mike Tyson says, everybody's applying until they step in the ring and get punched in the face, uh, <laughs> plane goes out the window, something like that. You know, having these contingencies, uh, they're, they're great to have, uh, great speculation, but it, it really comes down to how you can handle that failure, learn from it, roll onto the next, the next thing. I think that's the key. Like, how are you going to keep going now? Right. So on the flip side of that, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned from success in business? Cause we've, we've had our share of failures, mm -hmm. you and I together in business and separately, but we've also had our share of success in business. What do you think is the biggest lesson that you have learned from being successful as an entrepreneur? I think this come, this is kind of a, a sideways uh, way to answer the question. I think it comes down to working with other people. This, this is, this is kind of strange, right? So, so once there is success, then, you know, you have to define that success, but let's just say it's a very generic term success. Then I think making sure, obviously you, you have the right people in your, in your corner, but like, what does that success mean to you? Right. Is that, you know, you were able to exit a company, you were able to have a financial event in the organization, does that mean you, you sold six more units this month and last month, whatever that might be. But I, I think as you continue to succeed, whatever, however you define it, I think it's a, it's always an opportunity 
to go find and have conversations with other people. You know, if I were to go back 25 years or however many years, um, I would, I would look more to seek out other people who have done what either I've done or wanted to do. And I would use that mentorship. Exactly. And I would, I would use that. I would use that success. So if I, if I say financial event, right, I exited a company, then I would go find somebody else who's also exited a, a company, maybe a similar company, doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, and try to learn from, I, you know, let's say you had an, an exit and now you've got, you know, or extra sales. So whatever that, um, that cash flow, that extra revenue might be, I would say, hey, I'm going to go buy this person lunch. I'm going to fly to this place. I'm going to go sit down with them. I'm going to you know, pick their brain, even if it costs me right? To, to get that information from them. Because with that, you should be able to grow even more. And I think yeah. every success should be get another success because otherwise you're just stopping. And if your plan is to stop right. and just stop, but if your plan is not to stop and continue to grow, then you have to continue to, you know, propel forward. And to me, that is the, probably the best way to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I saw a quote earlier today, and I'm going to butcher this quote now. Um, but somebody said that basically the the worst thing you can do with success in business is to look at it as an end point. Like success can be the the beginning or it can be the middle, but it can't be an end point because then exactly what you just said, then you just stop, right? And then then where do you go from there? And then you've kind of done all of this for what? Because you know, and, and I know everybody talks about I'll just sit on an island, but would you really though? Would you really though? Most of us be bored out of our minds. We want the opportunity to go to the island whenever the heck we want to and spend as much time as we want to, but we don't want to just stop doing and stop producing because most of us as entrepreneurs are people who continuously wish to produce. And I'll add the second piece of that to me. Mentorship has always been, and this is what I tell my mentorship clients, it's the shortcut to the result. Because why would you reinvent the wheel? Like I, I, I harp on this so often. When you and I had the other IT company that we ended up exiting from, I would have given anything to have a mentor to help guide us in that process. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, wouldn't have had to reinvent the wheel. So it could have been a much easier process. So it could have been a much smoother process. So it wouldn't have been such a, at times, harrowing experience you know, mentally because we could have just taken the shortcut from somebody who had been there before, who understood what we were after and just taken their lesson. Like I will forever invest in mentorship for that reason alone. It is to me literally a shortcut. It's, it's, the, it's the secret passage that, you know, the average person doesn't know. It's that hidden tunnel in the house that nobody else knows about and they're all taking the stairs right. and you're already at the destination. Yeah. yeah. 100%. One of my mastermind clients posted something in Boxer this morning that actually reminded me a whole lot of you and, you and me. Her husband is also self-employed. And he's a consultant. So very similar to right the work that you have done in the past as a consultant, mm-hmm. your current business kind of straddles two things, mm-hmm. consultancy, but also product-based. So with the consultancy, his, his clients are very steady, right? Like he can predict sort of monthly revenue because it's a very long-term contract, contractual kind of situation. And she was struggling a little bit this morning in our conversation in Boxer with the mindset piece of feeling successful when her client relationships are a little bit more volatile, a little less predictable, right? Because it's a coaching situation where the clientele is not going to be there for a six or 12 month or whatever long-term kind of predictable. We know that we have this contract and we're going to have this much coming in every month and whatever. So her monthly revenue kind of goes up and down and fluctuates. She's doing great, but it fluctuates. And you and I have been on both sides of that too, right? With my coaching business being a lot more cyclical, where yours, the consultant business used to be a lot more predictable because it would be like, here's a six-month contract 
for X amount of dollars with a government agency. That's a whole lot more stable and predictable. How have you been able to deal with that volatility of entrepreneurship, especially when both of us are kind of on this roller coaster where it is very rarely predictable? Like, yes, you and I both draw salaries from our respective companies, but as far as corporate success and revenue, it is not always predictable. It is something that sometimes is way up and sometimes is way down. And sometimes one of us is up and the other one is down and vice versa. How have you been able to kind of deal with that, with the volatility of that, knowing that both of us are in that? Yeah, it's been interesting to say the least, for sure. Yeah, so um, I, I think one, it kind of comes with the territory of, again, the, the, the nature of the businesses. You know, planning is fundamental to that, that process to be able to, you know, forecast and, and, you know, see where your expenses are and so forth and so on. Um, but, but I think revenue, as I've said as many times before, revenue cures all ails, right? Um, you know, you can, you can do a lot. So I think that just comes down to that, that sales cycle process. Um, you know, the, the, the sales iterations of producing consistent sales. And sometimes that's an engine, right? You know, it might be puttering along or sputtering along to begin with, right? Might, might right, not have the right fuel in the tank. But once you get that humming, right, then it should become a, a well-oiled machine, so to speak. And, um, you know, that should become a, a much more consistent thing. And, uh, and just going back to what we we're talking about before, you know, how do you handle success, right? So the, the failures are, are leading up to the successes of creating that predictability. So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly. You but, are. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 It, well, there's no, there's no correct answer to that. There's no wrong answer to that. I will add for me, I think one of the big pieces of, of having been able to deal with the volatility of it is, first of all, that we're in it together, that you and I both understand this process yeah, very well, right? And this is why I think we have our, our multiple daily meetings of me stopping in your office or you sometimes stopping in my office, which it you happens, did the other day, yeah. which was very surprising because usually I'm the one that stops in your office because you don't leave your office very often. <laughs> but it was very lovely to have you visit me in my office. But I think the, the, the support of being married to somebody who very much understands what it's like to be an entrepreneur and being able to then have those conversations of like, I'm feeling some kind of way today. And then, you know, you'll talk me through it. Or if you're feeling some kind of way, I'm able to talk you through it. The combination of that and then making sure that on my team, I have the right kind of people that I know I can rely on that can ride those waves with me. And then again, I'm going to bring it back to mentorship, knowing that I'm putting myself in spaces with people in the masterminds I've been in, in the think tanks that you have joined, right? Like being in the right kind of place with other people doing the same thing. Because it's really hard for somebody who isn't an entrepreneur in a thought leadership position who rides this kind of volatile business situation to understand what it feels like to be in it. Right. It's easy to work a nine to five. And I have worked nine to fives and they suck. And some of them are wonderful and some of them are horrible. But it is essentially easy mm -hmm. because you know the paycheck's coming and you know that you get to leave at five. <laughs> it is very different to be an entrepreneur. You don't know that the paycheck's coming right. and you don't really ever get to leave because you have made this an extension of who you are. So having that support system of, of putting myself in spaces outside of our relationship, you know that, like masterminds and you going to join these think tanks and these you know incubator spaces. I think it's, it's vital for somebody who wants to grow their business into something that is actually of substance and can sustain that up and down to be surrounded with people who absolutely understand what it feels like, especially yeah. when it's two people in a family and there is neither one of us is the one with the stable, quote unquote, nine to five, and yet here we are, and I feel like we're more successful now than 
obviously we were ever when both of us had nine to fives. I feel like there's no other option at this point. I would never want to go back to a nine to five. And I don't think you would want to either. Yeah. Agreed on that. Uh, I I think when when you're talking about that like-mindedness, how it works, if you look at a lot of the really famous uh, movie stars, maybe rock stars, man, that's a different lifestyle, but uh, that's movie stars. You see a lot of them marrying other movie yeah. stars or popular people, right? And I think one of the reasons you see that is because there's a, there's an understanding, right? Yeah. You know, if we're going to be popular, you know, let's, let's, let's be popular together. And you know what it's like that paparazzi in your yeah. face, you know what I'm going through, right? Yeah. You know, you and I with the, with the paparazzi <laughs> following us into our cul-de-sac, I mean, it gets so old, you guys, I can't even tell you. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, I think that's a, that's a fair analogy actually. Yeah. All right. That is all the questions I had for you. Is there any other wisdoms that you want to share with our lovely listening audience today? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's wisdom, but another thing you were saying when you're talking about this like-mindedness, I was thinking about at, at the end of the day as an entrepreneur, right? You, you kind of are on a bit of that journey oftentimes by yourself, right? Like, like what, you know, what are you entrepreneuring? Is, is it a clothing line? Is it uh, a, a tech company? Is it coaching? Is it... Uh, you know, you're, you're starting up a dry cleaner business, you know, whatever it is, right? Like at some point, somebody had that idea, you know, maybe you found it in an article inside of, I don't know, Newsweek or Maxim Magazine. I, I don't know. But, you know, but you, you stepped into that as an entrepreneur and said, hey, I think it's a great idea. Let's start this restaurant. Let's start this dry cleaner. And I think the realization is that, especially if it's one person, like you're kind of in that starting position on your own. And then a lot of it also is, is on your own. So as you go throughout the journey and you start having these successes, I think the, the mental understanding of, yes, I might've had the idea. I might've started this thing. I might've gotten a little bit of traction. I've got a few customers or people showing up on, you know, happy hour in, in the restaurant, however you want to look at it, whatever that success is, to then just kind of look at it and say, all right. How now can I get more support? How now can I get to the right people? How, how now can I learn about the next step from somebody else who's already done it? Because that's going to then multiply for you versus feeling like you're in, a, in the zone alone and have to continue that journey alone in perpetuity. And I think that that's a, a, a key, probably a life lesson, but definitely a lesson for entrepreneurs because I, I, I do liken it to, or I think it's similar to getting drafted in the NBA, right? Like not everybody is going to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody wants to be in the NBA. Not everybody is going to get drafted in the NBA. And even the people who want to be in the NBA, for example, aren't going to make the cut. You know, and they might even be great, you know, one point in their journey and they go out there and they're not going to make the cut. So, you know, what what can you do to be top of your game? Who do you need to talk to, to, you know, make sure that you get the right now? coaching i'm kind of like working backwards into this i'm not even trying to talk about coaching here but yeah but i love it because you're talking all about coaching and mentorship and like i love this not this is purposely like the best trying to that i've never recorded here. but 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 then end of the day you know, this is why coaching is amazing thank you for making that yeah point. i mean ha- having people in in your corner sooner rather than later right so maybe talking to that yeah. um to the scout who knows the nba coach right like just the more people you can communicate with and, and have in your corner especially as you see, start seeing some of those successes, I think is just just a, a great piece. Uh, it's a gem I wish I had earlier on. I'll say it that way. Yeah. Land my plane. I think that's the bottom line for, for you and I both in entrepreneurship. There's so many lessons I wish I had known 
sooner that you and I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> that would have been a much easier journey had we had just somebody standing on the sidelines going, hey, don't take the left turn here. Let's go over this way because I know where we're going. So yeah, thank you for being here for another podcast. Let's see how this episode does because the people love Christian Screen. The people wanted to hear more of Christian Screen last time. So awesome. I appreciate you being here with me today, babe. Yeah, thanks, love. Appreciate you having me on another podcast. This is great. Keep up the yeah. amazing work uh, with the Embodied CEO podcast. Yes, we'll do it again. We'll have you back again. All right. For the rest of you, you guys know that this season, I want to leave you with a question to ponder at the end of every episode. And I'd love it if you messaged me on social media with your response. But first, I want to leave you with your quote for this episode. And as I was looking for quotes this morning, this one jumped out at me. And I actually laughed out loud because it is very fitting for what we just discussed. And this one is from Andy Grove, who was the former CEO of Intel. And the quote is, only the paranoid survive. It seems so fitting that your mind is on it all the time. You're riding this roller coaster all the time. You're constantly trying to figure out how do I make it better? How do I make it smarter? How do I make it faster? How do I reach more people? So I'm kind of looking at this from the perspective of rest assured that not worrying about your business is probably the first sign that your business is not going to make it. So you're all 100% normal for constantly worrying about your business and having your business forefront of your mind. Um, it is your baby. It is the thing that is the extension of your thought leadership and what it is that you want to achieve. So my question for you today is this. Are you using your worry and fear as fuel to make the next big move? Or are you letting it paralyze you and preventing you from investing in your business when you know that you need to? And only you know the answer for that. So ponder that. Let me know on socials how you guys feel about that. And I will catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Embodied CEO podcast. To connect with me, head on over to www.kirstenscreen.com or find me on Instagram at the Kirsten Screen. My DMs are always open. So drop in and say hi. Be sure to follow, subscribe, and share the Embodied CEO podcast. And if you're tired of hustling to grow your coaching business and you want an easier way, I've got a free training for you on how to scale and sustain a six-figure coaching business without trading all of your time for money and the constant fear of not having clients. Give it a listen today and start getting your time and your freedom back in your business. Now promise me you're going to go out there and take some action.